Hey guys, welcome to the Bitcoin Fortress podcast, helping you increase your financial freedom. This is episode 89, recorded here on November 5th, 2023. This podcast is for entertainment only and is not investing advice. So as always, please do your own homework. A lot to cover this week. Um, so we will jump right in with the market update. Stonks closed sharply higher Friday to extend a monster rally that saw the big three indexes sweep to their biggest weekly gains of the year. As investors grew more hopeful that the Federal Reserve's interest rate hikes might have ended. The October jobs report Friday came in weaker than expected, showing the Fed's campaign to cool the economy and stifle inflation could be working. Bond yields tumbled this week, with the 10-year Treasury yield sliding to 4.57% after touching 5% in recent weeks. The shorter end, more rate-sensitive two-year yield was down 11 basis points to 4.86%. Among the top stock market benchmarks, the Dow Jones Index rallied 5% for its best weekly showing since October 2022. The S&P 500 jumped 5.8%, and the NASDAQ Composite surged 6.6%, the strongest week for those indexes since November last year. Everything's fine, obviously. So, uh, (laughs) we'll see. If, uh, you know, if it keeps going. Uh, and then uh, looking ahead, investors head into new the new week with stocks making a recovery push and treasury yields falling back. The economic calendar is light with the release of the Federal Reserve Senior Loan Officer Opinion Survey being one of the key releases. Analysts think the reading on bank lending conditions will be important in assessing credit and growth risk going forward. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell will speak at a panel at the IMF's annual research conference. European Central Bank President Christine Lagarde, Bank of Japan Governor Kazuo Ueda, and Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey will also speak. The turn in the bond market will be a major point of discussion. Uh, One analyst here at uh, Seeking Alpha Uh, Jim Sloan recommended buying bonds before rates slip back below the long-term average. The earnings calendar slows down with more than 400 of the 500 companies in the S&P 500 index already having made the trip into the earnings confessional. Some of the notable reporters scheduled for next week are Disney, Gilead Sciences, and Uber Technologies. Key events to watch include AI events for OpenAI and Moderna, as well as investor days for Extreme Networks and Stryker Corporation. Buy bonds. Uh, Just kidding. I wouldn't be buying bonds. All right, next up is the HODLers Digest for October 19th to 11.4. Cointelegraph produces this, and uh, it's a nice recap of some of the top articles, a couple of which we will probably dive into in a little more detail. First one, Sam Bankman-Fried found guilty. What's next for the crypto king? Former FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried was found guilty of all seven charges by a jury in his criminal trial in New York. 
After about four hours of deliberation, he was convicted of two counts of wire fraud, two counts of wire fraud conspiracy, one count of securities fraud, one count of commodities fraud conspiracy, and one count of money laundering conspiracy. He will return to court for sentencing by New York District Judge Lewis Kaplan on March 28, 2024. Government prosecutors will recommend a sentence, but Judge Kaplan will have the final say. Bankman-Fried's crimes each carry a maximum sentence of between 5 and 20 years in prison. With the wire fraud, wire fraud conspiracy, and money laundering conspiracy carrying a maximum 20-year sentence. His lawyers, however, say the fight isn't over yet. Uh, but he's probably not going to be walking free for a long time. Uh, next here is PayPal faces SEC action related to PYUSD stablecoin, according to an official. Payment giant PayPal has received a subpoena from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission regarding its U.S. dollar pegged stablecoin. The subpoena requests that PayPal produce certain documents, the firm said. We are cooperating with the SEC regarding this request, PayPal noted in a financial report. The SEC has sued several of the largest local companies in the crypto industry, including its ongoing lawsuit against Coinbase. In October 2023, the regulator moved to dismiss its lawsuit against Ripple, the company behind the XRP token, one of the largest cryptocurrencies by market cap. So the SEC, SEC says, not so fast there, PayPal. Uh, basically, uh, stable coins are just shit coins. Invesco Galaxy Spot Bitcoin ETF joins BlackRock on the DTCC site. The ticker for Invesco and Galaxy's Spot uh, Bitcoin Exchange Traded Fund, or ETF, BTCO, has appeared on the Depository Trust and Clearing Corporation's website, making a step forward in the application process for the two asset managers. A uh, ticker added to the list of ETF products on the DTCC site is not a guarantee of future approval for that product. However, according to a DTCC spokesperson, it is standard practice to add securities to the NSCC security eligibility file in preparation for the launch of a new ETF to the market. Recently, BlackRock and 21Shares application for a similar product were added to the DTCC website as well. Uh, basically, it's just a step in the process and, uh, and uh, you know, doesn't mean anything's imminent or anything like that, but uh, it means uh, somebody's going through their checklist, which is good. Top Swiss Bank launches Bitcoin and Ether trading with SIBA. Switzerland's St. Galler Cantonal Bank, one of the largest banks in the country, is moving into cryptocurrency by introducing Bitcoin and Ether trading to its customers. The bank has partnered with the SIBA Bank to offer its clients digital asset custody and brokerage services. SGKB plans to expand its offerings to additional cryptocurrencies based on client demand. Founded back in 1868, St. Galler Cantonal Bank is reportedly the fifth largest bank in Switzerland, having had a total of 53.6 billion Swiss francs or $58.9 billion in assets under management at the end of 2022. 
Jack Dorsey's block had 5.62 billion in revenue, 44 million in Bitcoin profits in Q3. And we'll dive into this a little bit more detail, but uh, the summary, Jack Dorsey-led block published its third quarter earnings report on November 2nd, revealing a profitable quarter and a surpassing analyst expectations. The firm had 5.62 billion in revenue in the third quarter of 2023 boosted by solid revenue growth in Cash App and Square with $44 million in profit on its Bitcoin holdings thanks to a price surge in recent months. Block generated a gross profit of $1.9 billion, which is up 21% year-over-year. And that pretty much wraps it up. Uh, well, there's one more thing here. Prediction of the week. A lot can happen in Bitcoin within a short space of time and with 2024 less than two months away, there's plenty of time for fresh Bitcoin price volatility to take hold. Before the yearly candle close, some say Bitcoin US dollar will be higher than at present to the tune of another 30%. In a blog post in late October, Matrixport doubled down on $45,000 a year in price target, which it initially revealed in January. It was based on a handful of in-house models with matrix port also successfully predicting Bitcoin's October gains. Bitcoin is breaking above the July 31,500 resistance level showing that 45,000 is achievable by year end at summarized. For many, the halving is a watershed moment in every Bitcoin price cycle. In September, Bitquant stated that Bitcoin US dollar would surpass its current $69,000 peak before April. 2024. A couple more uh, articles in here. SafeMoon executive team charged with multiple fraud counts. Arrests made. The United States Securities and Exchange Commission announced on November 1st that it was charging SafeMoon and three of its executives with fraud and unregistered security sales in connection with its SafeMoon token. According to the SEC, SafeMoon executives Kyle Nagy, John Caroni, and Thomas Smith withdrew assets worth $200 million from the project and misappropriated investor funds. The Justice Department is charging the three with conspiracy to commit securities fraud, conspiracy to commit wire fraud, and money laundering conspiracy. So sounds like they may go down the path of good old SBF. BitGet Floki teams accuse each other of manipulation after token listing. The teams behind the Floki protocol and BitGet Crypto Exchange have accused each other of market manipulation after the protocol's token, TokenFi, was listed and delisted by BitGet. According to a social media post from the Floki team, BitGet listed the token before it was launched, referring to the BitGet listing as a fake token. In a blog post, BitGet claimed that the Floki team was suspected of market manipulation by maliciously controlling the initial liquidity. So don't shitcoin. Bitcoin only. Self-custody. Get it off the exchange and you'll be fine. Uh, oh, here's another shitcoin news. Oyster Protocol founder gets four years jail for $5.5 million tax evasion. Amir El-Ma'ani, founder of the now-defunct Oyster Protocol, has been handed the maximum sentence of four years in prison for tax evasion. The United States Attorney's uh, Office said on October 31st that El-Ma'ani, also known by the alias Bruno Block, was sentenced to prison following his guilty plea where he admitted 
to secretly minting and selling pearl tokens while not paying income tax on a swath of profits from the project. In addition to his four-year prison sentence, El Mahani was sentenced to one year of supervised release and was ordered to pay $5.5 million in restitution. Okay. Well, that was a lot of shitcoin news that I didn't really need to read, but uh, it's, uh, again, instructive for uh, those of us that want to avoid getting wrecked. Okay, next up, uh, this is uh, Bitcoin.com's uh, Week in Review. So we'll run through these articles in brief. First one, Elon Musk unveils plan to turn X into powerful financial platform. You won't need a bank account. Billionaire Elon Musk has revealed that he is turning his social media platform X, formerly Twitter, into an all-encompassing financial platform. When I say payments, I actually mean someone's entire financial life. If it involves money, it'll be on our platform. He claimed, emphasizing, you won't need a bank account. And uh, I would just respond to that and say, no, no, thank you. I don't think I will. Uh, next article here, SEC wants $770 million from Ripple. Lawyer says SEC is, quote, pissed and embarrassed. The United States Securities and Exchange Commission reportedly wants Ripple to pay a $770 million penalty for violating securities laws. Crypto lawyer John Deaton explained that the securities regulator is pissed and embarrassed after it lost several legal battles against the crypto firm. Celebrating 15 years of Bitcoin, unraveling Satoshi Nakamoto's seminal white paper. 15 years ago, on a memorable Halloween night, Satoshi Nakamoto introduced the world to Bitcoin through the white paper that laid the foundation for decentralized digital currencies. Published on a cryptography mailing list, this seminal document provided a comprehensive solution to the long-standing double spending problem without the need for a trusted third party. Analyst predicts Bitcoin price rising to $150,000 by 2025, imminent approval of spot Bitcoin ETFs expected. Global asset management firm Alliance Bernstein expects the price of Bitcoin to reach $150,000 by 2025. The firm's analyst has predicted imminent approvals of spot Bitcoin exchange traded funds by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, including those by leading asset management companies like BlackRock and Fidelity. So a little hopium uh, mixed with a little dystopia. Next up, uh, this is an opinion piece from Coindesk. And again, as usual, I'll include links to all the original articles in the show notes if you want to read it for yourself. There's a lot of times there's links in the articles too that you might want to explore. Uh, this opinion piece is entitled Sam Bankman-Fried Verdict, The Crypto Industry Reacts, and this was authored by Ben Schiller. With Sam Bankman-Fried's conviction yesterday on seven counts of fraud in federal court, the long-running FTX saga appears to be nearing a conclusion, though sentencing and several live issues are yet to be finalized fully. The question now is what the verdict means for the future of the industry. Will it prove a lasting stain on crypto's reputation, making it impossible for companies to persuade users of the merits of digital assets, which one might argue was the point? <laughs> or 
Will it serve as a moment of closure, proof that the legal system, journalism, and the industry itself can clean its ship? Coindesk reached out to several longtime crypto watchers for comment and received several quotes, unsolicited as well. They follow below, and it says we'll update with more as we receive them. Paul Brody, head of blockchain at EY. It's a wonderful moment for crypto. Accountability and the sense that bad actors will be punished is important, not just for deterring bad actors, but to give confidence to those who are operating with integrity. If you're investing in a business, you need to know that the competition will be on a level playing field and that integrity is not something that puts you at a competitive disadvantage. Noel Atchison, former head of research at Coindesk and writer of the Crypto is Macro Now newsletter. The verdict came as a huge relief. While it looked increasingly likely as the trial wore on, there was always the outside chance that SBF would yet again embarrass the industry by showing that crypto fraud can be hard to prosecute. That didn't happen, and the swift and unanimous decision from the jury definitively shows that fraud is fraud and crypto service providers can and should be held accountable. The closure of the SPF phase should help to show the next wave of investors that crypto markets can be grown up, and hopefully now we can get back to building the capital market infrastructure the ecosystem deserves. Sheila Warren, CEO of the Crypto Council for Innovation. Uh, this case was always about fraud, and this outcome confirms that the jury understood who and what was on trial here. The jury heard evidence that Sam Bankman-Fried was out for himself, and that's reflected in the verdict. This case serves as a reminder that rules that have existed for a long time created a path to accountability for these crimes. My hope is that we can turn the focus to the victims here rather than continuing to give airtime to the latest person who committed one of the oldest crimes on the books, fraud. And lest we forget, that's what Bernie Madoff did, only he did it with dollars instead of crypto. Same thing. And he didn't get caught for a long, long time. Uh, U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown, chairman of the Senate Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs. Uh, this verdict is a victory for everyone fighting fraud and scams in crypto. In this trial, we saw how crypto companies like FTX think the law doesn't apply to them, gamble with consumers' money, and lie to the public. Americans continue to lose money every day in crypto scams and frauds. We need to crack down on abuses and can't let the crypto industry write its own rule book. Oh, and there's Elizabeth Warren. No one is above the law, including crypto executives. Sam Bankman-Fried stole billions from everyday Americans and will be held accountable. Thank you, Elizabeth. Preston Byrne, corporate partner and practices in the Brown Rudnick's Digital Commerce Group. I would not read too much into the SBF trial result as a forward-looking matter. What's done is done. SBF is off the board as a major player of crypto, probably for the rest of his working life. What this is, is a significant and decisive victory for the U.S. Attorney's Office in the SDNY, uh, convincing a jury that fraud is fraud, even within the context where complex novel technology is involved. I would expect that the USAO has a lot more confidence today than they can win other big cases against bad actors in crypto than they did yesterday. Joshua Clayman, U.S. Head of Fintech, tech and head of blockchain and digital assets at Linklaters. People sometimes talk about divine justice. Yesterday's verdict may just be sublime justice. With the criminal trial of Sam Bankman-Fried wrapped up, 
in a bow exactly one year to the day after Coindesk's award-winning reporting about Alameda Research's balance sheet revealed the empire to be arguably a house of cards. After a month-long trial where SBF famously took the stand, the Manhattan jury took only a few hours to find him guilty of all seven criminal charges brought against him. In terms of winners and losers for the crypto space, it remains to be seen. In my view, the prosecution was successful in convincing the jury that the case came down to things like basic fraud, which transcends any particular industry. And the swift verdict is likely to embolden prosecutors who may be less willing to enter into plea arrangements and more likely to go to trial. I also think that in a way, this verdict is a win for the crypto industry itself. After all, it was the industry, including crypto journalists, that discovered and exposed SBF's wrongdoing and certain market participants that were themselves harmed by FTX and Alameda testified in the case against SBF. SBF being found guilty may be an important milestone or marker that enables the digital asset space and the broader market to move on from the events of 2022 because the bad actor is in fact being held accountable. To the extent that digital asset market participants continue to emphasize that bad actors and fraud should be held accountable and to emphasize key strengths of the technology, including transparency, that may help deter or root out criminal behavior. I think this that can lead to wins for the industry. Despite the rapid rise and fall of FTX and Alameda, builders have kept on building. Our space is resilient and crypto lives on. This here is from Michael Selig. Council in the Asset Management Department at Wilkie. The trial verdict offers some degree of resolution and closure on the events of the past few years and provides an opportunity for a crypto industry reset with lawmakers and regulators. The events of the past few years inflicted immense reputational damage on the industry and caused countless regulatory investigations and congressional inquiries into market participants and practices, overshadowing many recent technological innovations. I have no doubt that the SEC and CFTC will continue to aggressively enforce industry compliance with legacy laws and do not expect Congress to pass new crypto legislation anytime soon. Yet both the crypto industry and regulators were caught in the crosshairs of common enemies and this chapter is coming to a close. I'm hopeful that industry and regulators can now turn the page to find common ground for a sensible regulatory solution. Uh, this was from Kevin J. O'Brien, Ford O'Brien Landy LLP partner and a former assistant U.S. attorney. An appeal doesn't appear very likely for Sam Bankman-Fried, he said on CDTV today. Mark S. Cohen, SBF's attorney, is a very able lawyer, but on the face of it, there doesn't seem to be much for them to work with here. O'Brien said the trial was very well tried by the government. But he doesn't think Sam Bankman-Fried will spend the rest of his life in prison, more like something in the neighborhood of 15 years or maybe 20 years. He's a relatively young man. His whole life is in front of him, O'Brien said. I don't think the judge is going to want to destroy his chances of having a full and productive adult life. Uh, Yatsiu, Annie Maka Brand's executive chairman, said SBF's downfall had really cast a dark shadow over the entire industry, and this verdict serves as a new beginning. This verdict made it clear that this was, quote, simply a case of fraud. It wasn't a case for the industry having an issue. Um, and then it wraps up here by saying the trial against Bankman Free demonstrates that there are consequences for bad actors that give people a certain sense of more safety. So a lot of interesting takes there, but generally I think 
I, I would say generally positive. So uh, the bad guys got punished and hopefully it's a lesson to the other bad guys and the future bad guys that uh, they could meet the same fate. And then for the people that are following the rules, um, it's reinforcement that they should continue to do so. Uh, so then uh, this one here is an article from the LA Times and this uh, was on, posted on Yahoo Finance. Uh, and I just thought it'd be interesting to get a mainstream take on this. And of course, from the LA Times, you can expect it's going to be, uh, well, anyway, I'll read it. Sam Bankman-Fried's seven guilty verdicts expose crypto as a swindle through and through. Aha. It's a swindle. Uh, it took a federal court jur jury barely four hours Thursday to find crypto scam artist Sam Bankman-Fried guilty of seven counts of fraud and conspiracy. He was undone partly by a crack team of federal prosecutors who laid out a clear, simple paint-by-numbers picture of his crimes for the jurors, but mostly by his own greed and arrogance and also by the deceit fundamental to the cryptocurrency market itself. Aha. Uh -huh. Okay. Got it. It's fraud. The prosecutor strove to keep the jury focused on what Bagman Freed had in common with fraudsters throughout history. The promise to Marx that they will acquire riches beyond compare if they just ride along rather than on the peculiarities of the crypto market. The cryptocurrency industry might be new, the players like Sam Bankman Freed might be new, but this kind of fraud, this kind of corruption is as old as time. Like we said uh, before, uh, Bernie Madoff who made off with everyone's money. Uh, U.S. Attorney Damian Williams is quoted here as saying, this is not about complicated issues of cryptocurrency. Assistant U.S. Attorney Nicholas Roos said in his closing uh, argument to the jurors Wednesday, it's about deception, it's about lies, it's about stealing, it's about greed. U.S. Attorney Damian Williams reiterated that point to reporters in a brief appearance outside the Manhattan courthouse after the verdicts. The cryptocurrency industry might be new, the players like Sam Bankman-Fried might be new, but this kind of fraud, this kind of corruption is as old as time, he said. But those statements risk doing a great disservice to investors who might yet be tempted to take a plunge in the crypto market. Crypto promoters will paint Bankman-Fried as merely a single rotten apple. Okay, thanks LA Times. That argument may work when fraud occurs in a market that is otherwise real, such as stocks, bonds, or precious metals. It doesn't work in this case where the market itself is fraudulent. Wow, that is complete bullshit. The value of cryptocurrencies can't be placed anywhere. They don't produce income like bonds, and their prices can't be pegged to liquid markets like those of public company securities. Really? <laughs> To this day, no one has ever explained what cryptocurrencies are useful for, other than paying ransom to crooks holding databases or computer systems hostage. Wow. You go, LA Times. Bitcoin, store value, 21 million. Self-custody, peer-to-peer. I mean, that's worth a lot to me. Uh, I would agree with the shit coins. They're 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 just trying to reinvent the, you know, things that already exist in the um, in the real world in the financial system. But bonds? I mean, bonds aren't real. They're a promise to pay. And uh, you know, if if the 
if uh, the counterparty can't pay you back, they're worth nothing. And if the federal government inflates, you know, the currency, you'll get paid back in less purchasing power in the future. I mean, how is that real? Anyway, it goes on. Bankman Freed exploited the vac vacuity, well, there's a big word, of crypto as an asset by slathering it over with what sounded like profundities. Well, there's another big word. But were, a, were vacuous at their core. He could not have done so if there was actually anything genuine about crypto. His claims would have been weighed against market realities. Oh, and by the way, there is a market like that trades 24 hours a day, seven days a week in all currencies for Bitcoin. So that's bullshit. But anyway, since there's nothing real about crypto, there was nothing to weigh them against. His marks had to take him at his word. The harvest, they've lost as much as $10 billion, and Bankman Fried is facing a prison term as long as 110 years. What is amazing about this case is how many people got snowed, including leading investment firms such as Sequoia Capital. That Silicon Valley venture firm put $150 million into Bankman Fried's company, FTX, and followed that up by posting a slavishly adoring article about, about Bankman Fried on its website. Well, hey, newsflash, VCs are retards too. I mean, that's what fraud is. It takes in, it takes in the uh, right side of the bell curve and the left side and the middle. Well, maybe not the middle. The article reported that Sequoia's partners decided to make their investment after a single last-minute Zoom call with Henry <laughs> Great due diligence, guys. Its author, Adam Fisher, related that after his first interview with Bankman Freed, I was convinced I was talking to a future trillionaire. Retarded. Sequoia later scrubbed the article from its website. I retrieved it from the Internet Archive. The firm assured its clients that its FTX investment was the product of extensive research and a rigorous diligence process. That must have been some Zoom call. Anyway, Sequoia wrote down its FTX stake to zero. On the author, Michael Lewis, and his credulous book about Bankman-Fried going infinite, not much more remains to be said. His reputation for perspicacity in matters financial lies in tatters. <laughs> he said that he spent 100 hours with Bankman Freed in researching the book, yet he didn't see what 12 jurors came to understand after four weeks of testimony. In an interview broadcast on 60 Minutes on October 1st, just after Bankman Freed's trial began, Lewis was still asserting that FTX was a, quote, great real business. If no one had ever cast dispersions on the business, there hadn't been a run on customer deposits, they'd still be sitting there making tons of money. Oof. Lewis isn't alone in displaying such childlike faith in the realness of crypto. Even Bankman Freed appeals this verdict, wrote Reuters columnist Anita Ramaswamy after the verdicts. His swift conviction should cause a collective sigh of relief from firms using blockchain technology to solve real problems like streamlining cross-border payments and remittances. Yeah, let's just trust the legacy system that's uh, destroying society. The truth is that no one seems to have found blockchain technology, the foundation on which crypto is built, necessary or even useful for, quote, solving real problems. Wow, that's retarded. Who else <clears throat> got taken in? Politicians who were misled by Bankman Freed's blatter, but, but more by his lavish political donations into thinking that all the crypto field needed to complete its quest for legitimacy were a few judicious but not especially burdensome financial regulations. 
Bankman-Fried testified to Congress in February 22 about what those might be. Put briefly, he advocated rules that resembled practices that he said FTX already had put in place. His firm, he said, offered customers and investors rigorous risk management practices. All lies, by the way, but you know, that's what fraudsters do. They lie. FTX platforms have built a reputation as being highly performant and reliable exchanges, he told Senate Committee on Agriculture, Nutrition, and Forestry, which oversees commodities regulation. Even during bouts of high volatility in the overall digital asset markets, the FTX.com exchange has experienced negligible downtime and technological performance issues when compared to its main competitors. He added, FTX has aimed to combine the best practices of the traditional financial system with the best from the digital asset ecosystem. All lies. What may have gotten lost in the commentary about Bankman-Fried's criminal trial is that all of this was a lie. Well, hey, we agree on something. He painted FTX as a well-oiled machine designed to minimize risk in the crypto markets, but that structure and those safeguards simply didn't exist. They were all part of the scam. That's what gives the lie to his defense case that everything would have continued working perfectly if he hadn't been momentarily distracted here and there. The facts were laid out last November by John J. Ray, the corporate restructuring expert installed at FTX's CEO after it filed for bankruptcy. Never in my career have I seen such a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information as occurred here, Ray told the bankruptcy court from compromised systems, integrity, and faulty regulatory oversight abroad to the concentration of control in the hands of a very small group of inexperienced unsophisticated and potentially compromised individuals, this situation is unprecedented. Ray was the guy who managed the Enron bankruptcy, so it means something for him to say FTX was worth worse. After Elizabeth Holmes, the mastermind behind the Theranos medical device scam, was convicted of fraud in January 2022, I predicted that the verdict in her case wouldn't stop even sophisticated investors from pouring money into the next big fraud. The Bankman-Fried case allows me to say, I told you so. Hmm. But Elizabeth Holmes wasn't involved in crypto, and neither was Bernie Madoff. Hmm. Will this case keep investors from plunging into the next fraud? Don't bet on it. Oh, something else we agree on. I don't think there's, I think there's still going to be more crypto fraud, sadly, because uh, you just can't change human behavior. Um, people like to gamble. And crypto, other than Bitcoin, is gambling. Bitcoin is long-term savings. The quest for easy pickings, FOMO, the fear of missing out, is too powerful a magnet for capital. Even as I write, the next scams are bulking large on the horizon. Keep your eyes on artificial intelligence and self-driving cars. <laughs> hey, that's not crypto either. And keep your eyes peeled for the next big thing. It will come along soon enough and the reckoning won't be made until billions of dollars are lost and the next swindler with a clever story goes to jail. Hmm. So this guy is a Pulitzer Prize winner. Well, I agree with a couple things, but uh, his, his um, thesis on, you know, uh, and let's just set crypto aside because I think we could agree crypto is garbage, but Bitcoin, it, it's, uh, it's, it has a purpose and it's real and it's traded and uh, it's, uh, it's good. It's good. But there's, uh, there's the mainstream media for you. Thanks, LA Times.
Um, next up here, this is also, I thought it'd be good to read some mainstream. This is from you. This is from Yahoo Finance. Reuters picked this up. Articles entitled Fact Box, The Other Crypto Bosses in U.S. Authorities Crosshairs. One time crypto poster child Sam Bankman-Fried was on Thursday found guilty of defrauding customers of his now bankrupt crypto exchange FTX in a high profile criminal case that rocked the industry. But he's not the only one in regulator sites as token prices plummeted last year. The sector saw other stunning meltdowns that put several industry moguls into authorities' crosshairs. Investigations are not necessarily an indication of wrongdoing and charges may not result in convictions. All the executives below have denied wrongdoing. Uh, Changpeng CZ Zhao, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, sued Binance and its CEO Zhao in June for allegedly operating a web of deception. Binance and Zhao were also sued by the U.S. Commodities Futures Trading Commission in March for operating what the regulator alleged were an illegal exchange and a sham compliance program. The SEC alleged that Binance artificially inflated its trading volumes, diverted customer funds, failed to restrict U.S. customers from its platform, and misled investors about its market surveillance controls. The company said that the SEC's lawsuit was unjustified by the facts, by the law, or by the commission's own precedent. Zhao, a billionaire who was born in China and moved to Canada at the age of 12, uh, uh, called the CFTC's complaint unexpected and disappointing and said it contained an incomplete recitation of facts. Then there's Do Kwan, <clears throat> a South Korean national. Do Kwan co-founded Terraform Labs and developed the Terra USD and Luna currencies. The market value of Terra USD and Luna was once estimated at more than $40 billion, and their downfall precipitated a wider collapse in token prices. Kwan faces multiple charges of fraud in the U.S. and was arrested in Montenegro earlier this year for allegedly forging documents, authorities said. The SEC has also filed civil charges against Kwan and Terraform Labs, accusing the two of orchestrating a multi-billion dollar crypto asset securities fraud. Kwan has denied forging documents, according to a Montenegrin court press release in an October 30th court filing. Terraform said the SEC is evidentiarily no closer to proving that the defendants did anything wrong. Um, another favorite of the um, Bitcoin community, Alex Mashinsky, the founder and former CEO of crypto lender Celsius Networks Company, filed for bankruptcy in July of 2022. He has pleaded not guilty to U.S. fraud charges that he misled customers and artificially inflated the value of his company's proprietary crypto token. In January, New York State's Attorney General sued Mashinsky, also alleging fraud. A lawyer for Mashinsky at the time said he denied those allegations and looks forward to vigorously defending himself in court. Mashinsky also faces lawsuits from the SEC, the CFTC, and the U.S. Federal Trade Commission that allege he touted Celsius as safe even as the company took increasingly risky steps to deliver promised returns of as much as 17%. Ah, it goes to show you, where does the yield come from? You are the yield. Barry Silbert. Silbert is the boss of crypto group Digital Currency Group, whose subsidiary Genesis Global Capital filed for bankruptcy in January. He was sued by the New York Attorney General Letitia James last month, along with Genesis and DCG, alleging that they defrauded customers of more than a billion dollars. Silbert called the allegations baseless and said he would fight the lawsuit in court. Last year, 
My and DCG's goal is to help Genesis weather the storm and position Genesis for success going forward. It is unfortunate that this lawsuit admits that fundamental fact, he said. Uh, Then there's Stephen Ehrlich. Stephen Ehrlich's Voyager Digital is another casualty of last year's crypto meltdown. The CFTC and the FTC have accused him of misleading customers about the safety of their assets while taking excessive risks that led to the crypto lender's demise. Ehrlich has said that he was being used as a scapegoat for the bad actions of others at different companies. Having spent nearly my entire career working in regulated markets, including more than 10 years of public companies, I've never had a single blemish on my record, he had said in a statement last month. Well, there's a first time for everything, I guess. And finally, there's Justin Sun. The SEC in March charged Chinese cryptocurrency entrepreneur Justin Sun and his companies, including the Tron Foundation, with fraud, accusing him of artificially inflating trading volume for his company's crypto tokens and concealing a payment to celebrities to promote these tokens. Sun said on a post in social media platform X that the complaint lacks merit. Well, looks like prosecutors are going to be busy. Um, There's quite a list here of folks. And uh, I guess we'll just have to keep an eye on that one. Uh, Next up uh, is an article from Bitcoin Magazine. Uh, Kind of an interesting development this past week. Um, uh, Articles dated November 3rd. Federal Reserve threatens to sue Bitcoin Magazine. In uh, the U.S. Federal Reserve is taking legal action against Bitcoin Magazine in an attempt to silence criticism of its recently launched FedNow Interbank Clearing and Settlement Service. In a letter sent to the publication by the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago, the Central Bank of the United States is claiming that Bitcoin Magazine merchandise that parodies its services are not protected speech, but rather an unauthorized infringement of its image and trademarks. The dispute centers around the use of the FedNow service image and trademark in a line of merchandise sold by Bitcoin Magazine that seeks to criticize the surveillance capabilities of the FedNow system and how it threatens American civil liberties. The Federal Reserve alleges that Bitcoin Magazine used the trademark without permission to mislead readers into believing a connection exists between the publication and the central bank. In response to the allegations, Bitcoin Magazine has penned an open letter to the Federal Reserve Financial Services Deputy General Counsel Thaddeus Murphy. And this is a great letter. Dear Thaddeus Murphy, on behalf of the entire team at Bitcoin Magazine, I wanted to take the time to thank you for your thoughtful inquiry after having browsed our online store. During your Christmas shopping early, you love to see it. Let us know if we can send a box of merchandise to any of the 12 Federal Reserve Banks. You might enjoy our content from the latest print Bitcoin magazine, which discusses the damages your policies have done to our economy and our country. Please don't hesitate to reach out with a list of coveted items, and we'll be sure to send them. We want to do our part to stimulate the economy. On to business. We would like to inform you that while we received your cease and desist request, we refuse to comply. We will not be intimidated by your efforts to silence criticism. As you may know, our publication and our readership are deeply troubled by the new FedNow interbanking communication system. We believe not only that it is possibly unconstitutional, but that it threatens the very freedoms that all liberty-loving American citizens should hold dear. With that in mind, we believe it is well within our First Amendment rights to exercise speech on the issue, and to that end, we will be defending our right to sell merchandise that makes buyers aware through fair use imagery 
our position that this system is a threat to civil liberties. I would like to make a, new, a few direct comments on quotes present in your letter in order to best articulate what I'm sure is to be considered a disappointing response. <clears throat> the Federal Reserve has extensively used and promoted the FedNow mark and has built up substantial goodwill in this invaluable asset. Financial institutions and consumers associate the FedNow mark with the Federal Reserve and its services. An interesting point. For starters, what goodwill has the Federal Reserve built up? Have you seen the state of the working class today? Perhaps you have already forgotten how Fed policy directly led to mismanaged bond portfolios in regional banks across the country, such as Silicon Valley Bank, Signature, Sil Silvergate, or First Republic. Perhaps you have for already forgotten about the historic inflation rates seen throughout the U.S. since government-imposed lockdowns all but forced the Treasury's hand to stimulate the economy to the tune of trillions of dollars. There is no goodwill, Mr. Murphy, and certainly not substantial goodwill either. The Federal Reserve recently learned that Bitcoin Magazine is selling t-shirts, hats, and other wearables bearing the FedNow name, as shown in the screenshot below. Bitcoin Magazine's use of the FedNow mark in this manner is likely to cause confusion, mistakes, or deception. Consumers are likely to believe that the gear is associated with, affiliated with, or endorsed by the Federal Reserve when no such association or relationship exists. This is false. Bitcoin Magazine is exercising its First Amendment rights to social commentary and parody. I'm sure you'll notice the all-seeing eye that symbolizes the state of your total financial surveillance that your agency is seeking to impose on the American financial system. We do not believe that anyone that is familiar with our editorial guidelines and general stance on the world would ever associate Bitcoin Magazine with the Federal Reserve. <laughs> we agree with your assertion that no such association or relationship exists. We have no interest in causing confusion, mistakes, or deception. That sounds more like a job for those responsible for telling the market they wouldn't raise rates after a massive monetary expansion, and then went on to raise them faster than any time in U.S. financial history. We look forward to defending our First Amendment rights about and the opportunity to make clear to all Americans the difference between the open, free, and decentralized financial system that is Bitcoin and the centralized FedNow system that threatens our nation's founding values. Best, Mark Goodwin, Editor-in-Chief, Bitcoin Magazine. And they also have a PDF version of the letters uh, from the attorneys here. So check that out. Um, we certainly stand, I stand with uh, Bitcoin Magazine on this. I think that uh, they should have a right to highlight um, this i don't think they're stealing their trademark it doesn't even look the same it has the i uh <laughs> the o in fed now um but uh they are undermining our freedom so we will continue to watch this one closely uh next up also from bitcoin magazine this is um maybe a little bit more on the technical side of things but i thought it was interesting worth talking about um, it's an article entitled Understanding the Bitcoin L2 Trilemma. As a venture capitalist, I maintain a token agnostic stance because we invest at the early stages of new technologies development. We invest in equity rather than tokens, only receiving tokens on a pro rata basis. We firmly believe that for a token to be valid, it should serve a crucial role. In essence, removing the token should disrupt the core value proposition and underlying architecture. Merely having tokens for their sake 
or avoiding them without reason raises immediate red flags. In much of Web3, there's an overflow of tokens made just to have a token. Projects which may have otherwise succeeded fail due to their tokens' economic unsustainability and lead to significant financial losses for investors. Contrastingly, within the Bitcoin community, you'll find developers wasting uncountable hours on unsolvable technology problems and what amounts to solutions I call tokenless tokens, an approach I liken to attempting sex without intercourse. Both approaches seem irrational. Hmm. Okay. That sounds like a shitcoiner. Uh, now let's delve into the three facets of this trilemma. Off-chain networks, for example, Lightning and RGB. These aren't blockchains, but networks that save data off-chain stored by users. There isn't a universal public ledger here, making data and smart contracts less accessible and interactive. Thus, you miss out on the comprehensive functionalities offered by smart contract blockchains like Ethereum or Solana. It also requires users to run their own nodes or infrastructure in order to be fully decentralized, resulting in a significant user experience barrier for adoption. That said, this approach affords scalability and privacy benefits far beyond what blockchain technology will ever be capable of, <clears throat> making it optimal for application-specific use cases, notably scaling payments. Decentralized side chains like stacks, interlay, layer zero solutions, etc. Decentralized side chains enable anyone to participate in consensus, like mining blocks, such as they as they supplement their security budget with new token issued by the protocol. This results in a competitive marketplace of miners spending resources vying to earn the blockchain's native token, subsequently utilized by users to cover gas fees when executing smart contracts. The anticipation is that increased usage and network effect will bolster tokens demand and make it economically sustainable. However, introducing an extra token could complicate the user experience. Moreover, the laser eye Bitcoin maximalists will attack these efforts and call them a scam for their per perceived competition with Bitcoin as an asset, making a developer's life more stressful. On the upside, possessing a token can foster community building and facilitate capital raising to fund substantial research and development efforts. Next is federated side chains like Liquid, RSK, Botanics. In this scenario, absent a token, miners or validators are compensated solely by the company behind the development effort or by blockchain user fees, which often amounts to negligible sums for years until significant uptake occurs. This compensation is needed because proof-of-work style consensus models mining costs money. In proof of stake, there's the risk of capital being slashed. Even Bitcoin and Ethereum, with over 100 million users each, predominantly fund their security budget through a token reward subsidy. To address this, a federated sidechain doesn't open mining to everyone. Take Liquid, for example. It has formed a group of 15 crypto businesses, including exchanges, trading desks, and infrastructure providers. While this approach can work well, it requires trust in the selected entities to become more decentralized over time. The age-old dilemma arises, how to draw in ample users and fees while functioning within a trusted group. Efforts are underway to devise hardware solutions to automate and potentially democratize membership, but trust now shifts to the hardware being utilized. So what are the advantages of federated sidechains? A more streamlined user experience as these sidechains utilize a form of PEG BTC for network fees. Avoiding a new token also reduces the likelihood of facing opposition from the laser eye Bitcoin camp, although it's yet to be seen whether this group of Bitcoiners will actually participate in Web3 use cases these sidechains enable. 
It's pivotal to recognize the distinction between RSK and Liquid. The former employs merged mining and has impressively garnered 64% of BTC's hash rate as of February 2022. However, RSK has a federation and hardware-centric approach for their bridge. In contrast to this, token-based sidechains are building decentralized bridges, which use their native token as collateral. Examples of this include SBTC, which stacks is advancing, and alternatives by interlay and several, several layer zero sidechains. By leveraging the native token as collateral, this design provides an incentive model to sustain an open mem membership bridging protocol for the BTC asset. BitVM, and I wrote about that actually in my blog, um, I think it was last week, um, newly introduced this month through the white paper could present a solution to make federated bridges more trust minimized and eliminate the need for hardware-based solutions. I'm closely watching its progress over the coming months. Um, three potential solutions to solve the trilemma. And again, uh, there's a graphic at the beginning, but the trilemma is really... Um, uh, you have an open network, no new token, and a full VM global state. And then you have off-chain network, decentralized sidechain, or federated sidechain, which is all what we just went through. So numerous prospective solutions necessitate a Bitcoin soft fork, which could take a considerable time to gain traction. Drive chains serve as a recent controversial example, initially proposed in 2017. It's now having its moment. Validity rollups or ZK rollups hold promise and have garnered more positive feedback from several Bitcoin core developers. Yet effective implementation remains a challenge and could be a distant reality. Merged mining is intriguing, especially with RSK demonstrating significant adoption from Bitcoin miners, even without compelling incentives. However, the, absent, uh, the absence of a token <clears throat> still means reliance on a trusted bridge or advanced hardware configurations that uh, await market validation. BitVM might revolutionize federated bridges in tandem with merged mining in the coming years, potentially resolving the decentralization dilemma. It's worth highlighting that many sidechains opt for EVM, the Ethereum virtual machine, with RSK, Botanics, and numerous layer zero solutions taking this approach. This decision fast tracks market entry and ensures compatibility with exchanges and EVM centric blockchain infrastructure. Conversely, Stacks and Starkware, ZK Rollup, have devised their own virtual machines aiming to be an improvement over EVM in specific areas such as decidability and ZK compatibility. This dual-edged sword means they might lose the network effect, but may provide developers a platform to craft superior applications and distinguish themselves from market-leading applications on Ethereum. For most builders, the decision about a token should be rooted in practical concerns. Even on Ethereum, where Layer 2 validity rollup solutions don't require a token because of their smart contract support on Layer 1, leading projects like Optimism and Ar Arbitrum have tokens. They leverage these tokens to strengthen community ties and finance development. This market-based evidence further complicates navigating the token versus no token question. Base Layer 2 Ethereum initiative by Coinbase has recently garnered significant traction without having its own token. However, the company has indicated that introducing a token in the future remains an option. Drawing from my past experience as a corporate innovation exec executive and an entrepreneur, I liken the token versus no token debate to the startup equity versus corporate equity conundrum. 
In my book, The Lean Enterprise, I highlighted numerous instances where internal innovation attempts failed due to lack of incentives proportional to the high risks and extensive R&D these projects demanded. Even Google, known for its innovation-focused corporate culture, witnessed its employees forego hefty stock options to venture out on their own, <clears throat> leading to the birth of giants like Twitter, Instagram, Niantic of Pokemon Go fame, uh, and Pinterest, and more. This resulted in a potential market cap loss worth over $100 billion. Layer 2 projects carry immense risks, with a majority bound to fail. The funds required for their development are significant. New Bitcoin cannot be created to fund a new blockchain security budget or developer community. Despite offering fewer security benefits than validity roll-up solutions like Optimism, Arbitrum, and Base, Polygon and Ethereum sidechain still dominates in terms of market cap and developer engagement among all Ethereum scaling solutions. It's now shifting towards a ZK-based strategy, hence if a ZK roll-up method doesn't inherently demand a token, Possessing a native token for a blockchain as opposed to an application might offer a competitive edge. As with all things related to business, there are no clear-cut answers. Final thoughts. The Bitcoin L2 space is captivating, with the race intensifying as protocols like Ordinals, BRC20, and Runes attract more Web3 developers to build on Bitcoin. As Web3 investors, our focus remains on applications and infrastructure steering clear of token trading. Presently, our interests lie in off-chain networks with distinctive application-specific advantages and decentralized sidechains, primarily due to their open membership consensus model, community building, and capital acquisition benefits. We're also bullish on merged mining. If BitVM succeeds at introducing a more trust-minimized approach for federated bridging, importantly, both the collateral-driven bridges like SBTC and BitVM method are still in developmental phases. BitVM was just announced via white paper this month and has garnered significant developer interest, while SBTC has been under development for over a year, with substantial resources invested in the effort. Ultimately, alongside investing in Bitcoin L1 applications and infrastructure, the Bitcoin Frontier Fund aims to strategically venture into all three trilemma corners, investing in the most promising efforts by outstanding teams. So pretty much the Bitcoin space is going to have to come up with the capital and, you know, anybody that's wants to fund these initiatives will have to put their hard money down to fund these initiatives. And they're going to have to, you know, again, pick some of the best ones and knowing that, you know, as is typical with um, startups, you know, there's probably, a, if you're lucky, a 10% success rate. So anyway, great article by Trevor Owens. Uh, you can't really stop uh, layer two, layer three development from occurring on Bitcoin. Um, but again, the market will sort of decide which of these things is useful and which of them are not. And uh, that's ultimately uh, what Bitcoin's all about. It's a free market, perhaps the last free market that we truly have. Okay, now we move into the hopium segment of the podcast to finish up. Uh, we're going a little bit longer this week. Uh, first article is from Decrypt. This is on November 3rd. Blockstock stores as cash apps. Bitcoin revenue hits $2.42 billion. Block, the fintech firm led by former CEO, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey, saw its share price jump more than, t- jump more than 20% to over $52 
in after-hours trading on Thursday after reporting better-than-expected Q3 earnings. The company, formerly known as Square, posted a net revenue of $5.62 billion, up 24% year-over-year, and an adjusted EBITDA earnings before interest taxes depreciation amortization of $477 million, up 32% over the same period of time. The strong performance was largely driven by a 37.5% yearly growth in Bitcoin revenue through Block's key product, Cash App, which accounted for more than half of Block's total net revenue in Q3, reaching $2.42 billion, up from $1.76 billion in the prior year. Cash App, which last month celebrated its 10th anniversary since its launch, is a mobile payment service that allows users to send and receive fiat money, buy and sell Bitcoin, and invest in stocks. The year-over-year increase in Bitcoin revenue and lost profit was driven by an increase in both the average market price of Bitcoin and the quantity of Bitcoin sold to customers, Block said in its Q3 earnings report. Overall, Cash App generated $3.58 billion of revenue and $984 million of gross profit, up 34% and 27% year-over-year, respectively. Excluding Bitcoin revenue, Cash App revenue was $1.16 billion, up 26% year-over-year. The company's other payment platform, Square, reported revenues of $1.98 billion, up 8% over the year. Square is a point-of-sale system that enables merchants to accept credit card payments and manage their businesses. Block's Bitcoin gross profits saw a 22% increase, reaching $45 million compared to $36 million the previous year, per the report. Despite the earnings beat, Counting rules created a discrepancy of $114 million between the market and book values of Bitcoin block holdings, valued at $216 million. However, no impairment loss was recorded in Q3 2023 as the company follows the lower cost or market method, which means that it only recognizes losses when the market value falls below the cost basis, but not gains when the market value rises above the cost basis. Of course, that rule is going to change uh, probably next year when the Financial Accounting Standards Board comes out with their new guidance, which will basically mark Bitcoin on the balance sheet to market. Uh, Block revised its full-year guidance for 2023, raising its adjusted EBITDA from $1.5 billion to between $1.66 and $1.68 billion, and its operating income from $25 million to between $205 and $225 million. The company also provided a 2024 adjusted operating income guidance of $875 million and projected a gross profit for 2023 of between $7.44 and $7.46 billion. <clears throat> In his letter to shareholders, Dorsey said that we've been quiet lately because we've been focused, adding that Block aims to build simple, fair, and accessible financial services for everyone and to empower people with economic freedom. Gotta like that. According to Dorsey, there have been a number of things holding the company back, and when it comes to future growth, the firm is looking to focus more on artificial intelligence. We believe artificial intelligence can be a powerful assistant to help sellers further grow their businesses as it can enable greater creativity, efficiency, and productivity, said the report. Uh, next up here is from Coindesk. This article was posted on November 2nd. Articles entitled, Here's Why Bitcoin Will 10X From Here, Michael Saylor. So saddle up, the hopium's coming in strong. 
<clears throat> you quote, you can never have too much Bitcoin, said Michael Saylor, appearing on CNBC one day after his company MicroStrategy reported its third quarter earnings. That Saylor is a Bitcoin bull will not exactly come as breaking news, but he took note of a number of specific near to medium term catalysts. First among them is what's soon to be a sizable reduction in supply coming alongside a surge in demand. Bitcoin miners, said Saylor, need to sell Bitcoin in order to keep the lights on, and he noted those sales are currently running at about a billion dollars per month. The halving, expected to occur on April 2024, however, means miners will soon have only half of that available to sell. You're going to see 12 billion of natural selling per year converted into 6 billion of natural selling per year, he said. At the same time, he noted spot Bitcoin ETFs are going to be a source of increased buying pressure. Secondly, there are soon to be new rules implementing fair value accounting, which I just mentioned, for company Bitcoin holdings. Long term, said Saylor, this is going to open the door for corporations to adopt Bitcoin as a treasury asset and create shareholder value with their balance sheets. Finally, Saylor addressed the current news cycle, including the fraud trial of former crypto wonder kid Sam Bankman-Fried. Early crypto cowboys, the crypto tokens that are unregistered securities, the unreliable crypto custodians were liabilities for Bitcoin, he argued. For the industry to move to the next level, said Saylor, we need to migrate to adult supervision. We need to rationalize away from the 100,000 crypto tokens that people are manipulating to Bitcoin. When the industry takes its eyes away from the shiny little tokens that have distracted and demolished shareholder value, I think the industry moves to the next level and we 10x from here. 10x, you heard it. So we'll see. Maybe the hard part is is it's harder holding it at, uh, at 10x than it is uh, buying at uh, 15,000. <clears> and finally, from Bitcoin.com, this article was updated yesterday. Uh, articles entitled Financial Giant Fidelity's Director Sees Bitcoin as, quote, Exponential Gold. Jurian Timmer, Director of Global Macro Financial Services Giant Fidelity, shared his Bitcoin outlook in a series of posts on social media platform X this week. He wrote on Wednesday, In my view, Bitcoin is a commodity currency that aspires to be a store of value and a hedge against monetary debasement. I think of it as exponential gold. Historically, during structural regimes in which inflation runs hot, real rates are negative and or money supply growth is excessive. Gold tends to shine and gain market share relative to GDP. Notable examples are the 1970s and the 2000s, Timmer detailed. While noting that gold is money, he argued, it's too deflationary and clunky to be used as a medium of exchange. Hence, investors own it primarily as a store of value, and one of many reasons Bitcoin is often compared to gold. On Friday, the Fidelity Director further discussed Bitcoin on X. Based on monthly data as of September, Bitcoin still has a positive correlation to equities, but less so than many other assets, he said. Where might Bitcoin sit in a 60-40 portfolio? In my view, it should sit squarely in the alts bucket. However, while Bitcoin's correlation is becoming less positive against the S&P 500, it's not negatively correlated against much else. Timmer additionally stated that Bitcoin is negatively correlated to the U.S. dollar and T-bills. He continued, surprisingly, it is uncorrelated against gold. That's bad because it puts a question mark behind the thesis that Bitcoin is playing for the same team as gold. But it's positive because we want as many of the alts to be uncorrelated against both the 60-40 index and against the other alts. 
the executive concluded if Bitcoin and gold play on the same team but in different games, then that's not too bad. Uh, and then last, just want to mention this week's uh, blog post on Substack. Please check it out. It is called the IRS Digital Asset Transaction Reporting Proposal and its Threat to Privacy Protecting Our Constitutional Rights. And I will include a, uh, include a link to this in the show notes, along with uh, links to all the other articles I reviewed. And uh, if you do read the article, I would highly, and you feel the same way as I do, because I posted an anonymous um, comment on this particular proposal. You can actually use ChatGPT. It writes a real nice letter, and you can just copy and paste it right in. So it takes like two seconds. Um, but I think it's pretty important to fight back against this kind of uh, overreach, uh, bureaucratic overreach, and um, um, you know, uh, imposition on freedom and liberty. So anyway, check that out. And uh, thanks for hanging in with me this week on a much longer <laughs> uh, podcast. So appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please like and leave a comment. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. My favorite app is uh, Fountain because you can get paid sats just for listening every day. So um, earn some sats and uh, learn more. You can also follow my Substack at bitcoinfortress.substack.com. And you can follow me on Noster. My NPUB is included in the show notes. I'm not on any other social media platforms uh, now. So you won't find me on Twitter or X or whatever the heck they call it. And that's it. I will talk to you all next week. Bye-bye. <music>